Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. I mean, if you sit on the toilet backwards and you just put the computer on the shelf, there you go. There you go, yeah. It's perfect. Oh my god. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the Commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. Joey, did you know that I'm only going to play Magic Online now? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, playing in paper was pretty terrible lately. <laughs> that was the worst possible intro, <laughs> intro joke that has ever occurred in the history of not just Magic podcasts, but all podcasts ever. Let's Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Hello, I am Reddit's new best friend after my most recent article. Uh, yes, though your your article contained nuance about Eternal Witness, sometimes the internet can be a rough place for nuance. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? The new Tesa, my lady. Yeah, that she I I'm I'm genuinely speechless. I kind of had a suspicion that maybe the new Ravnica Allegiance set wouldn't give us as much fun stuff for Commander, given, you know, what we found from Guilds of Ravnica, where I didn't feel like we got too many fun treats for Commander. But Tesa Karlov, she has proven me wrong. She's amazing. Yeah, she is super, super spicy. And I've, I've said a couple times, I don't play very much black in my decks. And I've never in like my entire playing career built a purely black-white deck. That is going to change when Tesa comes out. <laughs> that is right. Matt, do you want to read the new Tesa Karla for us just so everyone is clued in on what this new awesome legendary creature does? Yeah, for sure. So Tesa is two white and a black for a legendary human advisor. She's a 2-4 and she has two different abilities. One, if a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger that ability triggers an additional time. So you basically get to double down on your death triggers. Death Harmonicon. Death Harmonicon is a good way to put it, yes. I, I would dare say she's probably better than the last Tesa. Already? It's, yeah, probably. <laughs> Just maybe, because we're not even done reading her. What's right. that second right. ability, she, Yeah, she has a second line of text that says, creature tokens you control have vigilance and lifelink. Okay, that's, yeah. that's good. Now, she probably... Now, did you say she cost, was it seven mana or eight mana? Is that what she, it was? She cost a whopping four mana. No, she couldn't have. The last one was was a far worse card and it cost seven mana. This one <laughs> must be 12 or 14, I would guess. That that protection this from is, creatures is worth five mana, Dana. I, Don't I, you I know? guess, I guess. She's definitely been all over the map. She started with a three cost, then she went to a seven drop. Now she's a four drop that gives all of your tokens, vigilance, and lifelink, and doubles your death triggers. What does she do? She does death. I'm totally in love with this new Tesa. And so today we wanted to discuss her and do a fun little deck tech about this upcoming legendary creature. You guys ready? Let's do I'm it. Totally ready. But of course, before we get started, I have to ask how your week was. And Matt, shout out to DM Cross on Praetor Magic. You recently guested on his stream. I did. Um, I, I popped in, uh, streamed on Monday. The podcast should be going out on Thursday, so the day before you guys are hearing this, you already heard it. Let's be real. <laughs> but I guess it on on Praetor Magic's podcast, we talked about the mechanics of Guilds of uh, Ravnica Allegiance. Excuse me, Ravnica Allegiance. Just what we thought about it, how we thought they would play out, and kind of just yeah, sat around and, and talked Magic for an hour, and it was it was good. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Are there any particular things, uh, any conclusions that you personally came to while on that? Like, what what do you guys think of the new mechanics from Ravnica Allegiance? So on, on the podcast, we, we ranked them all. Um, we had a one to five. And my top three, I all really liked a lot. 
My number four, I was I like, but just not near as much. And then my fifth one, which was adapt, uh, I just think was it's not that interesting. You just put some counters. I like that you can use token or the counters as a resource, which is cool. But then I had addendum, which like I said, I like. I don't think it's a bad mechanic by any means, but I I really like the rest of them. Then I had oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank on uh, afterlife was my number three. I like tokens. I think it's going to be a very powerful mechanic. Number two was spectacle. I think that's going to enable a lot of just silly things to go on in standard and, and maybe even modern. We saw today, actually, there there was the new, what were people, the, the popper staple lightning bolt. Oh, with, the with spectacle. the critics? Yes. Yeah, that one's uh, that one's pretty, pretty messed up. And so that means it's that your sil- top mechanic was... Riot. Riot, yeah. Gruel, Gruel knows what's up. They they know they how do. to bring the beats. And that's very on brand for you, definitely. Dana, do you think that your list would probably be a little different? Um, yeah, um, I like Afterlife quite Afterlife quite a bit. Riot's, I think, probably the strongest mechanic. I would agree with that. I, but I, I don't know if it's particularly interesting or fun necessarily. But it does bring the power, so you really can't, I can't argue against that. So I would probably maybe knock Riot down one and maybe move uh, afterlife up but other than that i mostly agree with that with that breakdown i felt like um i, I just blanked the azorius mechanic addendum addendum i like addendum a lot in theory um it, it feels a little bit like cypher was back in the return to ravnica block where it was a cool mechanic and they were really afraid to do anything too strong with it mm-hmm. sure so i don't know um, emergency power seems pretty powerful yeah, and standard especially, Matt. You were mentioning before the cast how like you can probably wheel into a Teferi, who then you can drop for free if you did the addendum clause on emergency mm-hmm. power. So then you'll untap your lands and have a new suite of counter spells. Addendum is actually probably near the top of the list for me, just because I like mechanics that force control players to do more than just the typical draw go strategy. So I do appreciate that on addendum. Yeah, I I agree. It forces you to think about what you're going to do, which I like. Um, I know Riot does that, but I th- I feel like Riot mm-hmm. the choice is very obvious most of the time. <laughs> yeah and and i don't know what it is with addendum yeah well and, and i think a lot of people are forgetting uh you know on the podcast a couple of the, of the other hosts on there they're saying you have to play it at sorcery speed which you don't you can do it with something on the stack you can play emergency powers in response to somebody you know trying to counter a creature or anything like that you don't have to play it as a sorcery it just has to be during your main phase and so that distinction i think is very much worth uh worth pointing out yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's definitely pretty interesting. I do like a lot of the mechanics. And as you guys mentioned, Afterlife, that Orzov mechanic, the one that makes tokens after your creatures die, that blends absolutely beautifully with Tessa Karlov. They definitely designed her around that mechanic. It is so, so cool. Because not only will she double the number of Afterlife triggers that you get, but she'll also give the tokens that are left over Vigilance and Lifelink. I think that's amazing. I just can't stop talking about Tessa. So how about we get to the deck tech? Yes, indeed. I suppose. I mean, if you're if you're going to get this wound up, we might as well move on. <laughs> we might as well move on. Matt, you actually have put together a Tesa Karlov list, but it's kind of going in a bit of a different direction than where I personally would take a Tesa Karlov list. So I think it would be pretty fun to present maybe two different deck lists when this show goes out to show how versatile this new commander is. Yeah. Well, like I said, Tesa has two different abilities, and they're they're. I mean, they're not really overlapping by a whole lot. They might empower each other a little bit, but they're they're very distinct. One is your death harmonicon, if you will, um, and then the other one encourages you to play creature tokens. So they're they're going in very different directions. And I decided to focus on that first ability of of death triggers. What can we do to just to to get value generated? There is a lot of a, a decent you know token sub theme for me. I do have anointed procession in the deck. I do have one card that I I I know I'm personally very very excited about uh, Twilight Drover. I've wanted this card to work in so many decks and it's never quite panned out. I think this is a perfect chance to play Twilight Drover. So that's that's a, a card that I'm, yeah, very excited to play. Um, but my deck mostly centered around the, the Death Trigger's ability. Uh, there's some very fun ones like Athreos, God of Passage. Uh, whenever another creature you own dies, return it to your hand unless the opponent pays three life. So if they really want it to die, they have to pay six life because that ability is going to trigger twice. Uh, stuff like that. So maximizing all the death triggers was the route that I decided to take because there's a lot of really fun things that I just I haven't done in a deck before. And this seems like a really good chance to to play some of those some of those strategies. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Meanwhile, I actually wanted to go in a slightly different direction. I mean, y'all know me. I will, of course, have some death triggers going on in my particular deck, but I also really enjoyed seeing all of the ways that you could make tokens in this particular color pair as opposed to the usual uh, green-white tokeny color pair. So cards like Flesh Carver were really interesting to me. Flesh Carver, when it dies, it makes you a huge token equal to its power, and so then you'd be able to not just get multiple creatures off of the Flesh Carver trigger, but then those tokens would be more powerful because they would have Vigilance and Lifelink. So I wanted to go in a bit more of a token-y direction because Tesa also enables a bit more of that focus. So you've got more of the death triggers, I've got a bit more of the tokens, and I think it should be uh, pretty fun to break these things down. It should be. I, and to note, I do have Flesh Carver in my list as well because when Tesa right. doubles the death triggers, uh, Anointed Procession also doubles the amount of tokens. So when Flesh Carver dies, Beautiful. you double the double. Oh, beautiful. Ah, see, I, we cannot get enough of this. Dana, I hope it's fine if you, you just listen to us gush this entire podcast. I can, I can do that because I'm a fan of both of these decks and both of the builds. And really, I mean, you're going to do slightly different things, but I think the deck is going to play somewhat similarly, even though you're going to be using quite a few different cards. And that's just going to be kind of a neat thing to watch. Yeah, it should be really cool. So, Matt, let's get into some of the particulars of your list. You've mentioned a few already. We mentioned Flesh Carver. You mentioned Athreos, which is just a home run in a deck like this. But what are some other of those particular cards that have death triggers that you wanted to capitalize on with Tesa? So two of them that I think people... And I was very tempted to, to challenge the stats on these two cards, but Grim Harrispex and Midnight Reaper, I think, are going to be two cards that you're going to want as a backbone. They're kind of like Skull Clamp, only obviously much more fair... Uh, but everyone knows what Skull Clamp does. It's equipment for one. Inch. Equipped creature gets plus one, minus one. Whenever equipped creature dies, draw two cards. So that's the ability that you want to double down. I mean, when a creature dies and you have Tasa out, you're drawing four cards. Equipped cost of one. Very, very powerful. But if you want those on a stick, you have Grim Hair Specs and Midnight Reaper. So Grim Hair Specs and Midnight Reaper both read, uh, whenever a non-token creature you control dies... You draw a card. Midnight Reaper deals one damage to you, but they both will draw you a card, which you can double with Tesa. I think those two are just very good draw engines to go along with a lot of these different sack outlets that I, I tried to focus on. Vistra Seer, obviously, it's kind of the go-to for black stuff uh, or for black decks. Uh, one that I was kind of brewing with and I, I settled in and I really, really like, especially when you combine it with Hair Specs and Midnight Reaper, is Sadistic Hypnotist. So what that is, it's it's three black black for a 2-2 minion. Uh, has the ability of you sacrifice a creature, target creature discards two cards from their hand, play this ability only when you could play a sorcery. So you have built-in hand disruption, a free sacrifice outlet to, to get your own triggers going, but then you're also messing with everybody else's game plan, which I think is is very, very powerful, gets your death triggers going, uh, and you you obviously, it's a five drop, so you're going to have a little bit of a board by the time you, you drop Sadistic Hypnotist as well. Those were just some of the general strategies that I, I tried to focus on as I got this, you know, first draft going. Yeah, and a few important things to note, because I think that there might be a little bit of confusion online, some of the folks that I've seen talking about Tesa. Um, you mentioned Sadistic Hypnotist, which has the activated ability, sacrifice a creature, target player discards two cards from their yes. hand, only as a sorcery. Yes. That, of course, is the activated ability, so that won't trigger an additional does not, time no. when you sacrifice a creature. You, correct. Um, and that's definitely an important thing to keep in mind. But yeah, it is still definitely pretty important. If you're capitalizing on a whole bunch of those creatures dying, then having ways to force them to die, which also then subsequently disrupt your opponents, is super, super important. Yeah. I'm looking through the list that you came up with, and there are a whole ton of fun cards that I hadn't considered that have really, really fun death triggers to take advantage of. So obviously, a good example is Solemn Simulacrum. It finds you a land when it enters, but it also draws you a card when it dies. Well, enter Tesa, now it'll draw you two cards. Along a similar vein, Filigree Familiar will draw you a card when it dies and now that means that you would actually get to draw two cards for this little creature so that's really really cool to see but you went even further and found some cards i've never even heard of uh, my favorite is probably reliquary monk this is two and a white for a two two uh white creature it's a cleric and it says when it dies you destroy target artifact or enchantment what an awesome ability to be able to trigger two times yeah it's it's kind of a reverse reclamation sage uh when sage comes into play it triggers uh, when Reliquary Monk dies, it triggers, and you get to double those, obviously, when you have Tesa out. And with a lot of the, the free death trigger enablers, like Sadistic Hypnotist, like Viscera Seer, like 
Phyrexian Altar even, because that's a fun new reprint we got for this deck. <laughs> There's all sorts of just really cool stuff that, I mean, I and I, this deck actually probably is the best example of how powerful Scryfall is for as a deck building resource. I used I used EDH Rec to, to kind of get a base layer. I just used uh, Tesla Orzhov Scion as, as kind of a, what's a, a rough, you know, 30 cards that I can get. And then I went to Scryfall and, and did some more digging. And that's where a lot of the juice came from with stuff like Belfry Spirit. Uh, that card is another one that I, I think is just crazy fun. But yeah, uh, Reliquary Monk is another another source of just how good Scryfall is. It just finding some of these random cards that are played in 500 decks. Right. Belfry Spirit is a really obscure one from the original Guild Pact set where Orzhov first made its debut that makes even more tokens and haunts creatures and makes more tokens. And that's definitely really cool. There's a ton of fun stuff happening here. Mm -hmm. Dana, are there any particular death triggers that are catching your eye in Matt's list? A Reliquary Monk was the first one that jumped jumped out at me, <laughs> which we already mentioned. The second one was Grim Horrorspecs as well. Like I ran it in my Taste of Deck, and, and we mentioned this one, of course, as well. But like as good as it was in my Taste of Deck, that card is going to be disgusting in this deck. It, it's going to be almost tutorable. You're going to play that and just draw all the cards. It's going to be amazing. So you, like you found a lot of the ones that I, I would have thought of. And even things like Solemn Simulacrum, which again we mentioned, but Solemn's an easy one to say don't run in your deck. It was kind of a staple for a lot of years, and I think the game has kind of moved past it. Except for it's not here because the double trigger. The double trigger makes Solemn once again a really, really viable card. Yeah, super fun stuff. There's also some obscure cards that I haven't seen since like M12. Archon of Justice is jumping out to me here as well. That's three white white for an Archon, four four flying white creature. It says when it dies, exile target permanent. That is so cool. You'd get to exile two things if they get rid of your Archon. That's just really, really nice to be able to threaten people with. So capitalizing on all of those death triggers is super cool. And especially Tesa is very cleverly worded. She says, if a creature dying causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control the trigger, it triggers an additional time. But it doesn't need to be one of your creatures dying to cause one of your abilities to trigger. It just needs to be a creature dying. And you've got a bunch of other cards in this list that also capitalize on other people and their creatures dying. And mm -hmm. those are really fun too. One of the ones that jumps out to me there is the card Massacre Worm. Yes, that card I that card and Phyrexian Obliterator, I... I when I first was playing Mega Casually, I saw Massacre Worm and I saw Obliterator. And those two cards I just jammed into Dark Ritual decks because uh, those things are so fun. But yeah, Massacre Worm, when you combine that with, with Tesa, is going to win people games. Right. Whenever a creature an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from play, Massacre Worm makes them lose two life. And when it enters, it also gives your opponent's stuff minus two until end of turn. So you can cause a bunch of their stuff to die, and then they would lose not just two life per creature, but four life per creature. Mm -hmm. And that's just gross. You've also got some amazing enchantments in here that I'll be stealing from my list as well, such as Black Market, which gets more counters on it to add more mana to your mana pool every time creatures die, which is cool. And a personal favorite of mine, Revel in Riches. Dude, that's just gross. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you get a, tre a colorless treasure token that sacrifices for mana. And if you have 10 treasures at the beginning of your turn, you win the game. That is going to be so easy to stack up Revel and Riches with Tesa on the field. Assuming, of course, that your opponents ever let you do such a disgusting thing. I don't think they're going to. Like, I, I, I I've been so very, either. very excited about this deck. But yeah, like Revel and Riches and Pitiless Plunderer, uh, you, you just stack up treasures really quick. And again, Anointed Procession. Annoying Procession doubles treasure tokens when they come into play. Well, it doesn't have to be a creature token, it's just any token. So Revel and Riches, it gets out of hand pretty quick. And and one thing that you'll you guys will notice in my decks, I'm not playing uh, some of the the mass removal stuff like uh, Dictative Erebos or Grave Pact. I got away from that because I didn't want it to get unfun for people. I wanted this to be a very powerful deck, a very synergistic deck, but I didn't want to get too carried away with just grinding everybody down and, and, and being oppressive. So I kept those out, but I did some silly things like Revel and Riches, uh, like Divine Visitation. That's another, it is a token card, Joey. So I, I did give you a little bit of credence because this deck does make a lot of tokens on accident, just maybe not focuses it on as much as your list does. So yeah, right. I, I kind of stuck that way. Didn't get too, too down and dirty. Like I know I probably do sometimes. I am a mean, mean man, allegedly. Mm -hmm. But I focus this Very one on, indeed. it's powerful, but it's it's also a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I think this looks just 
absolutely fun to be able to, to play against. You're going to be making tokens incidentally, but you're also going to be capitalizing on so many fun, cool death effects that I just don't know if people are going to be able to keep up with that. So when we release the show, we'll obviously have a link to Matt's list, but we'll also take a moment to look over some of the stuff in the list that I would like to put forward, which goes a bit more along the uh, more of the token-y theme. I'll certainly be keeping some of those death trigger-y things as well, but I'm a little more interested in the fact that all of our tokens get lifelink and vigilance, because I think that makes them really, really potent fighters. Uh, one of the particular cards that's jumping out to me as soon as I saw that was Crested Sunmare. Do you guys remember that one? I do. It makes a horse, does it make a horse token? Is that what that one does? Yeah, it's a bit like Angelic Accord, which Angelic Accord is an enchantment that says whenever you've gained four more life at the end step, you'll get a 4-4 angel token. Well, that angel token will therefore have lifelink, which means that if it ever enters combat, I'll get another angel token, which I think is awesome. Along that same line, Crested Sunmare is a creature version that does sort of a similar thing. Crested Sunmare, three white-white for a mythic 5-5 horse. It says that other horses you control have indestructible, and at the beginning of each end step, if you gained life this turn, you create a 5-5 white horse creature token. That sounds like so much fun, because all of your horsies will therefore have lifelink and vigilance, which makes them easier to go into combat and keep yourself protected. Plus, with that indestructible, there's no risk in getting in combat, and then they'll gain you more horses because they gained you more life. You've also got cards like Regna and Krav. Regna will do a similar thing. Every time that you gain life, you get more tokens, and more tokens will get you more life. That's the type of thing that I'm a bit more interested in here, is basically going infinite with tokens without actually going infinite. It just sounds like so much fun. Yeah, and and when, and... You have stuff like Fumigate, too, that can can get you, you know, those five-man arrests that we talk about. But that's going to get you a fair amount of life. I mean, there's some fun stuff in there. There's actually, this was something, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the uh, the board wipes. The removal suite that I'm putting together, I kind of want to go through it a little bit because there are, black-white is especially very, very good at being able to get rid of stuff. So I kind of wanted your guys' advice. There are a lot of mass removal spells that could easily run on a deck like this. Fumigate totally stands out because it destroys all creatures and gains you a life for each one of those. But you've also got really great staples such as Toxic Deluge. Then there's also Phyrexian Rebirth, which would make me a creature token for each creature that died. There's also Martial Coup, which could make a bunch of tokens and destroy everything else. But then we've also got really awesome flexible removal like Merciless Eviction and Austere Command. Like, I don't think that the deck necessarily warrants having all of those mass removal spells. So I kind of wanted to get your take on which of those removal spells that you think should make the final cut for a Tesa deck. I think Deluge, with as much life gain as it sounds like you're going to be having between... I mean, obviously, you know, your, your big horse lord with Tesa, all your tokens. I think Deluge is going to be really good because it's going to be basically two mana or three mana, excuse me, three mana and some incidental life loss that you're not going to care about really to wipe the board. I think Deluge is just going to be too good of a card with, like I said, an incidental life loss uh, to, to not be running that. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's the one. It's really three mana makes it really tough to pass up and you can flex it around if you happen to have a big crav out or something and no one else has a big creature you can just do it for four or five and keep your beater up and take stuff out being able to flex it around the size of creatures is really useful too so there's there's a lot of reasons to run deluge i think what about the others then like if you had to pick maybe just three of those spells between merciless eviction fumigate austere command martial coup phyrexian rebirth and toxic deluge which would be the three that make your cut for a, a tesa deck all of them uh, i think I think Eviction doesn't, <laughs> I would say. I, I like Merciless Eviction a lot, but I think in a deck that's so concerned with, with death triggers, I think running something that you may have to use that's going to exile stuff. I, I love exile, but I, I just think you're going to run into situations where you would get so much more value if it was just a board wipe versus exiling the creatures. Mm -hmm. And since you already have access to Austere Command, which is also going to let you flex around card types, I, I think... I, I would run one of the two, and it would be austere command over merciless eviction in this case. I think that makes sense. That sounds I, like something. I, I agree. Well, in merciless eviction, I mean, it's not a cheap card, and in Orzov, um, I mean, we're not going to have the best six, mana ramp around. Mana. Yeah, but so is austere command. I, I think you don't want both either because you don't want two six mana wipes. And I think right. if you're going to pick in this particular case, go with one that allows you to get your triggers still. Yeah, I I agree. And yeah. austere command is such a powerful card, like. It's so flexible. There's so much you can do. Man, I, it's really hard for me not to want to run Austere Command in, in dang near any white deck in general. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. 
I think also something that's important to note is that there's another really fun form of removal that Tessa is able to take advantage of because of her double death triggers. Um, so you might even be able to lock down the board creatures-wise because of cards like Dictate of Erebos and Grave Pack. Yeah. Whenever one of your creatures dies, you'll make everyone else sacrifice something. But again, because one of your creatures died, Tessa is going to double that trigger, which means every time you lose a creature, everyone else loses two creatures. So you could keep the board clear that way, and that's really oppressive synergy. Yeah, well, and you put it really well, oppressive synergy. Uh, I, I didn't put that in my list. I, I think it, especially against some newer players, that, that might get into unfun territory when you're doubling those triggers. But it is extremely powerful. It Yeah, it's it's very, very good. The concern about that, and I guess it's entirely a playgroup thing, is sometimes you get that situation where when someone experiences that once or twice, oh man, I got locked out of that game. You know, the last two times from this deck with a with a grave pact because it got down and he was making tokens and I just couldn't play any creatures. That can sometimes set up a player removal situation where like, oh, it's that Tesa deck. I'm just going to go hard at this person to remove them. Otherwise, I'm going to get locked out of the game. Yeah. And can this deck handle that? I, I don't know if it can, but that might not be an issue either. It depends on the play group. So that's just one thing I think you want to watch. Are the people in your group going to just gun for you because they don't want to get soft locked. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Those cards are, are super, super mean. The, the one the one other board wipe I would, I would quick I would at least consider it's it's expensive, but Decree of Pain um, in this mm. particular deck, since Ooh. you were going to be making a lot oh, of tokens, yeah. it's a greedy card, I fully admit it, but man, the decks where I run it, in, in, or see it cast, it almost always feels great when you wipe the board and then draw 17 cards or something stupid like that. I mean, and in this particular deck, when you manage to pull it off, you're going to be in just a such a king position at that point. I would at least consider it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, a good call. Um. <laughs> but like I said, it's super oh, greedy. It is such a greedy card. Yeah. Uh, at this point, also, just looking at some of the other possible token fun cards here, there's just so many. And some of them are also ones that were showing up in your list, Matt. Alenda the Dusk Rose is a really fun mm-hmm. one. It explodes into a bunch of vampires when she dies. Uh, there's also a slew of cards that make more tokens when creatures die. Ogre Slumlord comes to mind. Requiem Angel makes you spirit tokens when non-spirit creatures die. Uh, the OG Tesa is also doing a ton of fun stuff. I thought it might also be fun to take this one from your list this is the card murder investigation you want to read that one for us because i was really happy when you saw that one yeah murder investigation is one in a white for an enchantment aura and it enchants a creature you control whenever enchanted creature dies put x11 white soldier uh, creature tokens onto the battlefield where x is the creature's power that one is really gnarly especially when you combine it with alenda so you're basically getting xx tokens really yeah, I mean, really, this deck is doing everything that I wanted Alenda to do as a commander, but since Alenda has to actually die to get her trigger, it makes it a little awkward since she doesn't go back to the command zone. But yeah, I'm just, I'm absolutely all about this. There's a whole bunch of cards like that that can just get so, so super awesome, and I'm really excited to take advantage of them. Uh, there are a few others here as well to capitalize a bit more on those uh, death triggers. I saw that you took the card Dead Man's Chest, mm-hmm. which is so, so cool. That card Dead is Man's so Chest. silly. It's so silly. <laughs> an enchantment aura for one and a black enchant creature and opponent controls. And when that creature dies, you exile cards equal to its power from the top of its owner's library. You may cast non-land cards from among them for as long as they remain exiled. And you can spend mana as though it was mana of any type to cast those spells. So you put it on someone's, I don't know, 4-4 four, four or whatever. And then when it dies, you get eight of their cards instead of just four of the cards. And you can play their cards. Mm-hmm. Like That's an excellent card advantage spell in black because of Tesa. That's just so neat. So I'm going to be stealing that one from you for sure. Yeah, that card, I, I really, really wanted to make it work. I tried it in my Moldrotha deck for a little bit, and it was it was fine. Like I, There was so much that I was doing with my mana every turn that Dead Man's Chest was never great. But I think this deck might be a little different. Matt, do you did you see the card Jar of Eyeballs? I didn't think of that one, to, to be completely honest. I, just I, wanted to- I kind of forgot that that was even a card for a little bit. Yeah, so this is a pretty curious one, and I'm wondering whether you would run it. So Jar of Eyeballs, this is three mana for an artifact. It says, whenever a creature you control dies, put two eyeball counters on Jar of Eyeballs. Of course, Tesa would then make it four. Then it has the ability, three tap, remove all eyeball counters from Jar of Eyeballs, and you look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the number of counters removed this way. You put one of them into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Do you think you would end up using that one in your death triggery, Tesa? 
It depends. I, I know I need to make some cuts in here, so I, I and I haven't gotten to play this against people, obviously, because Taysa hasn't come out yet, and neither have some of the new cards. I think that might be one of those first cards that I look to put in when I need to make some cuts on stuff that hasn't worked out. That might be in you know that the five to ten cards that we always talk about. You know, make a make a list of 120 cards, make 110 cards, and then make some cuts. Um, that might be in those you know 10 to 20 cards that I, I keep around because I want to try them out eventually. Yeah. Um, and then finally, one last note that I wanted to mention about my a bit more token-focused Tesa deck. Uh, one of the things that I did to try and put this deck together was to take a look at some other more token-y commanders, for example, Tristani or Reese the Redeemed, and I you know, got a few ideas from that, from all of the white cards that can help make tokens. Elspeth Sun's Champion, for example, seems like just an excellent inclusion here because she can act both as a border wipe and can make even more tokens. Uh, but then another card that came to mind was also the card Rootborn Defenses. That's two and a white for an instant that makes all of your creatures indestructible and you populate so you'd copy another one of your creature tokens. And that just seems like a total slam dunk that I don't think should go overlooked in a deck like this. I think that's a... Um, Rootborn Defenses is a good card that it's always one of those ones you're looking for a way to actually always have a way to use that populate trigger. And this is a deck where you're really consistently going to get something for that indestructible. You're going to get to make stuff indestructible and you're almost always going to get a populate. So that makes it much more attractive than maybe it is in some decks. Now, Dana, I have to ask, since Matt has gone for a bit more of the death triggery Tesa, and I've gone for a bit more of the, you know, making tokens Tesa, which side of this debate, you know, which which type of Tesa do you think you would be more attracted to build? Um, I I would probably lean into the token one just because that was what my previous Tesa deck was, so that's kind of what's familiar to me. But I like both the lists. I like both the ideas, which I think is a really positive thing to say about a commander when you can make two kind of different decks and still have them be really interesting you hear that matt he picked me <laughs> he picked me and my army of ghoul color geesas and spawning pits and quest for the grave lords he picked me yeah but if we were making a bet we know who would win that one and we know who we would pick oh. so it's okay well, so actually, that's another interesting question. You know, EDHREC measures a whole bunch of data. Which of those two styles do you guys think would end up being more popular for Tesa? Do you think people will take her more in a token route or more in capitalizing on the Death Harmonicon ability? That's a really good question. I think the token version requires a little more, I don't want to say outside the box thinking, but it's not necessarily telegraphed so clearly on the card because it doesn't itself make tokens. So the death trigger thing, I think, is much easier for someone to look at and see and decide to go that route. So I would guess just by ease of use, people will more focus on the death triggers. It's also more unique. There's plenty of token commanders out there. This is the only one that doubles death triggers. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, too. Uniqueness is definitely an important thing when we're measuring all that data. People really like to see that, too. There's a few other, you know, pretty standard stuff to go over for the rest of a deck you know the veggies and stuff so uh matt do you want to describe some of the ramp spells that you're using in the deck too yeah sure can so i talked about uh, my uh, niv mizzet deck a couple weeks ago that i needed colored mana fi- or mana ramping I-, I had worn power stone and some cards like that so i kept that in mind a little bit when i was building my tesa deck so i have some cards like uh, charcoal diamond Two mana, comes into play tapped, adds black to your mana pool. Something simple like that is kind of where I took a lot of the focus. Obviously, I had your soul ring, had your signet, um, but then I also wanted to make sure my death triggers were enabling some ramp. So I had Ashna's altar and Phyrexian altar as well. Those are two cards that I think you're going to want in pretty much any taste of deck, regardless of doing tokens or your death trigger route. So those were uh, some of the big ones that I put in there. That's that's kind of a situation where I was hoping that maybe my my card draw uh, is going to overcome the lack of, of ramp in Orzhov colors. So yeah, I, I probably admittedly need a little bit more. I do like Orzhov Locket. The Lockets, or the Locket Cycle, I should say, all have impressed me with how they've played so far. So I think that is definitely an include as well. Um, but one new card that I I hope is going to fill the ramp slot is Smothering Tithe. Oh yeah. Yeah, that mm. card is so fun. Uh, it's three and a white for an enchantment. Whenever an opponent draws a card, the, uh, that player may pay two. If the player doesn't, you create a colorless artifact treasure token with tap to sacrifice it to add one mana of any color. So again, Anointed Procession doubles your counters. So if they don't pay the two, you're going to get two mana to use. Basically, Lotus Petals. 
Um, but I'm very excited about that card and how that pays off uh, in, in the deck. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. a really good card in this deck. Yeah, and I think a lot of folks will say, like, oh, a mono-white card that gives ramp, and they'll attribute the fact that that card is good just to that factor exclusively. But don't miss the important thing with that enchantment. That card scales with multiplayer, and that's what's important. Mm -hmm. Like, a Thran Dynamo will also give you, you know, approximately three mana when you're playing white. But that's not the thing there. This is a white card that scales to a multiplayer environment, and that's what's really important. It's a difference between, like, an Oblivion Ring and a Grasp of Fate. Scaling to the other players is super, super important. I would say, and it scales really well with Revel and Riches because it's making treasure tokens and I need treasure tokens to win the game. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a really gross sub-theme. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it, really if I play... Disgusting. It, the fun part is if, if I have Smothering Tithe and Revel and Riches out, I could untap and win the game right there on turn five or six. Yeah, um, that is... Uh, how do you say? Gross. That's awesome. <laughs> well, Matt, Matt uh, can, I, can I in the margins you here for one second? Go. <gasps> Charcoal Diamond. Uh-huh. At, at two mana comes into play tapped and you can tap it to add a black to your mana pool mm-hmm. conversely cold steel heart costs two mana enters battlefield tapped and when it enters battlefield you choose a color and you can tap it to add one mana that is chosen color to your mana pool so worst case scenario it can be set to black just like charcoal diamond with absolutely no change but it gives you the option to flex it to white if you need to yeah i think that one would probably be really That's good cool. Uh, I, and we talked about this actually after the cast last week that that should probably go in my Niv-Mizzet deck. My list, though, when you look at it, it's mostly black. There's a lot of black pips and, sure. and there isn't a lot. I think my only double white is at the five drop slot. And if I can't get double white by turn five or six, then I need to work on my mana base in general a little bit more. So that's why I went with Charcoal Diamond. I probably should have both of them in there, to be honest, and and probably Cold Steel Heart. Like I said, I, I think the ramp is probably the the weakest aspect of, of my list specifically. Well, it's also an easy one to skip out of when you get a new commander and you're all excited to make the deck. <laughs> I know. It's not that much fun to put ramp cards in. You're like, I'm oh. just I'm just expecting to have Smothering Tithe on turn two. Just turn one Soul Ring, turn two Smothering Tithe, or turn three, I guess it would have to be turn three. Dang it. Turn three Smothering yeah, every, Tithe. Every game, yeah. Oh, no, if you can manage that, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. For the ramp package that I wanted to go with, I, um, in my experience with playing any Orzhov deck, if you stumble, you can stumble pretty hard. And if the things like the Grim Horror Specs or the Midnight Reaper don't manage to stick and don't manage to get a bunch of their death triggers going on, mm-hmm. um, that it can be tough to claw your way back into the game. So I really am a fan of the cards that you mentioned, like Orzov Locket, which can help refuel you in case you ever stumble. So Orzov Locket can sacrifice itself to draw you two cards. The same is true of Hedron Archive. I also really like Commander Sphere and Mindstone. So ramp spells that also can help double in that particular aspect, I was really a fan of for my particular list. Yep. Yep, I agree. There's also a pretty fun uh, sort of a revival reanimator sub-theme running through your deck that I really appreciate. You've got cards like, I believe, Whisper Blood Litter just shows up in your deck, or Dread Return, things that help encourage death and bring back dead creatures, since you're going to be sacrificing and recycling them so much. And as a Necromancer myself, I'm so happy to see <laughs> there that There it in your is. Deck. We, we got to hear it. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and a lot of the death triggers revolve around... Um, Getting tokens out there. I have stuff like Pawn of Ulamog out, for example, uh, Sifter of Skulls. So when stuff dies, I'm going to get little Eldrazi tokens. And that feeds in really, real, really, really well with Whisper because it doesn't have to be tokens, non-tokens, whatever. Whisper just wants to sacrifice two creatures to get a creature back. So Whisper is, I, I'm a big, big fan of Whisper. Uh, Dean Goody, go figure, got me, you know, some black cards to throw on the list as well. Folks, if you're not following Dean, at Grubfellow. He, he tweets every day with just such good ideas. And there's my challenge to stats is, is a, a Dean Goody special actually in this deck. And it's one that I'm in, in gold fishing. It's so good. But Whisper is one in, in that line of bringing stuff back. It's, it's just super powerful. You get whatever you need back. If you want to get a Lend of the Duskrows back, uh, sacrifice two tokens to do it. You want to get one of my favorites, Demon of Dark Schemes back, sacrifice two tokens, and you get a little mini board wipe and start generating energy to reanimate even more because Demon of Dark Schemes, you can pay two and four energy and you put a creature on the battlefield tapped. So stuff like that, just everything kind of feeds into it. I, I Yeah, I, I like the reanimator sub package in here. It's really neat. There's just so much going on, but it's all synergistic and all feeds into each other. I think one creature that you both uh, don't have in your lists and I think would really do a lot of good in these decks is Smothering Abomination. 
I that was actually my last cut. Could you read that one for us? I don't think I remember it. Smothering a bomb is, is two and two black as devoid, which will probably not be relevant that often. But it does have flying, which is not nothing for a four three for four mana. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature. But whenever you sacrifice a creature, you draw a card. And I think mm-hmm. in this deck, there's going to be plenty of times where you're just. I mean, it, it's going to draw you, you know, four or five cards a turn in some turns. Yeah, that's certainly a good one. And and sacrificing is a theme that's certainly like that's especially what a lot of the I expect Tasa's theme page will look like is yes. probably that subcategory uh aristocrat aristocrats, since you're sacrificing so many of your creatures to get amazing benefits. Cause actually one of probably the most iconic cards that we haven't yet mentioned that will show up in basically all of these lists are blood yeah. artist effects. Falconrath Noble, Zulaport Cutthroat, those things that drain life from people every time your creatures die. The more tokens that you have, the more life drain triggers you can get. And so a card like that, that also encourages you to sacrifice your cards so you're drawing cards and draining people's life every time that you... uh, Yeah, oh, goodness. It's just going to be so, so ridiculous. So that is especially a thing that we'll definitely see uh, from all of these Tesa lists. And I'll try and go a bit bigger with my tokens, a bit wider with my tokens, because I'm just happy to be able to get life-linking vigilancy tokens as well. But it's going to be neat to capitalize on those death triggers. There's no way I'm going to be able to avoid it. Tesa's too good at both of the things that she does. And hey, if you guys want to live on the edge, run Dark Prophecy. <laughs> Is that another one that draws your cards when your creatures die? Whenever a creature dies, take a damage and draw a card. I killed myself <laughs> I killed myself with that card several times in my Tesa deck before I pulled it out, but it was always hilarious. Yeah, combined with that and Midnight Reaper, and you could easily deck yourself yes. in a deck like this, or just run out of life first, I suppose. Yeah, well, I <laughs> have makes this a good story. I have this foil Midnight Reaper staring at me, which is another reason I wanted to put that in the deck, and and that was one thing I was legitimately afraid of: is am I going to be able to gain enough life so that I don't die to Midnight Reaper? And so <laughs> we'll see what happens. But yeah, I I agree. The the Blood Artist effects, Zulaport Cutthroat, those things like those are going to be in ninety plus percent of Tasa decks. And really, that gives a third way to build the deck if you want to just go aristocrats, which is not really what you're doing, Matt. You are just more focusing on the triggers. But that's another legit way you could build a deck that's probably quite a bit different than either the two you two are building. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Tesa could easily be just a combo master. Yeah. So we mentioned a couple of cards that we expect will show up in a ton of Tesa lists. But I think it's time for us to challenge the stats and look at some cards that we don't think will be very popular for Tesa but definitely should be. Dana, do you want to start us off? I certainly can. The card I will be using this week is Helm of Possession. It's an artifact for four mana, and you may choose not to untap Helm of Possession during your upkeep, or during your untap, excuse me. You can spend two mana and tap it to sacrifice a creature and gain control of target creature as long as you control Helm of Possession, and it remains tapped. So it's a sack outlet that lets you take something to then sacrifice, and then the next turn, do it again and do it again and do it again. It gives you sack fodder, removes stuff from other people. And it's, I was never sad to see it when I played the uh, original Tesa. And it's only in 1,500 decks, which always shocks me. It's the kind of card that even if you're not necessarily running a sack deck, just playing a token deck, it's almost always going to be worth trading your 1-1 token for the best creature that's not wearing Lightning Greaves. And... In this deck where you can then kill that creature if need be very frequently with an Azure's Ultra or whatever, it's that much better and it's going to get you death triggers if you need to. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just a really, really good card and it's not in enough decks in general and I bet it won't be in enough Tesa decks. What is this card? I have never seen this before. I am in love. I think it's out of Weatherlight, I believe. Is that correct? Weatherlight or Stronghold? One of those. I. It was before yeah. set symbols had colors to it. it was, they were all were commons. This thing's amazing. Sacrifice a creature to gain control of another creature, and you can untap it to to sacrifice another creature. Yeah, as long as you've got a bunch of tokens, what an amazing slam dunk, Dana. Well done. You, uh, I love that we're all converting to the to the death track that that Joey loves so much. You know, necromancy. It, unite. It's not a cheap card. It it is you know four dollars for a for a near mint one, but that's also not outrageous necessarily in commander. Four dollars for a lot of cards is is bargain. So it's not nothing, but it's not terrible. Yeah, I I, I do like it a lot. That is so, so cool. I really like this find. I'd never heard of it, and I'm so excited to try it. Uh, Matt, how about your challenge stats? So mine, like I said, is it, Dean Goody gets all credit for this one. So one card that I was really tempted to put in, but I didn't want to because it is very unfun. It's along those dictative Erebus lines, but a Shieldred Whispering one. It's 
terribly great and powerful and awesome, but it's not really terribly fun to play against. So one thing that I, I like about the reanimation aspect of that, you can actually get on another card called Dawn of the Dead, which is two and triple black for an enchantment from Torment. So not quite as old as Dana's pick. And I had never heard of this card, but it reads, at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life. It's pretty terrible, but moving on. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may return target creature card from your graveyard to play. That creature gains haste until end of turn. Remove it from the game at the end of turn. So because it has the old templating, you can sacrifice it and it doesn't go away permanently. It changes zones. It goes from the battlefield back to the graveyard. So you can just bring it back every turn with haste. It's a great reanimation engine, really. That's, that's what it is. And it's not near as unfun because people can't keep cards on the board. It's something that's going to keep bringing your stuff back. It's going to further your game plan. Not so much make it so that people, like Dana said, people don't want to play against this deck anymore or they target you even worse so that you don't get to play this five drop enchantment. Um, it's something that I think is is very, very fun. Um, it's in the lines of Whisper. Just It's going to get your engine going. It's going to get you lots of death triggers. And it gets, you know, you can bring a big thing out with haste. Say you want to bring a Massacre Worm out, wipe their board, swing for six, and then sacrifice it, you know, before it goes away. That's all, you know, very, very viable things. Dawn of the Dead is not played in very many decks at all. It doesn't show up on Tace's page at all. But yeah, so Dawn of the Dead actually only shows up in 543 decks total right now. If you play that, you're going to get props for finding some unheard of card. Um, and it's just a great reanimation engine. That is definitely a cool trick because you're right. If you sacrifice it before that exile clause would occur, then you don't have to exile anything. So yeah, that that can that exile can, clause can super scare people because they don't want to lose the creature if they're trying to reanimate their stuff. But yeah, can you imagine reviving a Grave Titan, getting two zombie tokens, attacking with the Grave Titan, getting two more zombie tokens, and then sacrificing your Grave Titan to do it all again on the next turn? Mm -hmm. As long as you play around the card correctly, you're going to get just so much value. So I like that pick a lot too. Very much. And, and just the, the ability to have haste in, in Orsav is not something to be... Cavalier about either. That's a really big deal because it's so unexpected. Yeah, that's also very true. Yeah, oh, I like our picks this week. We're going to finish up with mine. What about Matt your pick, Joey? Yeah, my pick is the card Archangel of Thune. Probably a little bit more well-known, but I think it's a really good pick for Tesa as well, especially if you're going along the token -y route a bit more than I would do. Archangel of Thune, three white-white for a three-four angel with flying and lifelink, and it says whenever you gain life, you put a plus-one counter on each creature you control. Since Tesa gives all of your tokens lifelink, Whenever you've got your Archangel of Thune out, your entire board has the potential to anthem itself up a whole bunch because of all of the life that you'll be gaining. And I think that's some really cool secret tech that people are not going to see coming. But once it's on the battlefield, they're going to be super, super afraid of. More than likely, yeah. Yeah, there are just a ton of cool, tiny tricks that you can play around, whether you're, you know, Helm of Possessioning someone's stuff by sacrificing the stuff that you are already going to sacrifice, or you're reviving stuff to sacrifice that too, or you're powering up all of your tokens because of the awesome life-linking vigilance that they get. Tesa just has so, so many cool directions. I'm really, really excited to, to get this deck and to start, you know, actually playing it. I think this is an excellent commander. And listeners, I kind of want to know, which direction would you take Tesa? So more in a combo strategy, more long mats, you know, capitalizing on those death triggers, aristocrats-ish, or more on the token sense. Like, what is the most interesting build path for Tesa for you? We can we can put it to a poll. We we can put that out on the Twitters. I think that sounds like a lot of fun. We'll make sure that when we post the show, we'll put a poll out there because I'm definitely interested to see what happens with this awesome lady. And we'll make sure that we put out both of the lists that Matt and that I come up with. And uh, Dana, you'll have to decide which of those lists you think is, is more superior than the other. I can be the Grand Arbiter. <laughs> that's... No, that's a different card. That's oh, an Azorius. Okay. All right. That makes Thopters, <laughs> though. So there you go. All Is there anything else that we want to mention before we wrap up this week's show? Tesa's cool, in case you couldn't tell. It makes Matt talk about death. And and I'm not I'm not a necromancer myself, but I do appreciate a, a fun <laughs> commander when I see one. Uh, I will say, um, I, I think it, as part of our um, New Year's resolutions and challenging ourselves, talking about trying different decks out, and since we're discussing Orzov stuff here today, I think I am going to put together a, a Slenia Dark Angel uh, life swap deck. It's Ooh. way out of my wheelhouse. 
So I think that's what I'm going to try. And, you know, we're talking Orzov, so I'm kind of in that mood as well. So I think that's something I'll be talking about here in a few weeks. Once I get it together and test it out, I'll let you guys know how that worked. Are you going to do like the hatred route with like axis of, of what is axis of mortality? Is it? Yeah, there's that, you know, I, there's mirror universe. There's a few different things about you swap life out, you know, there's mirror universe, huh? Yes. That's, yeah. that's a throwback. I did, there's some old stuff I can dig out. And there's also that new card that got spoiled, whose name escapes me that that single black one where you can put counters on it whenever you sacrifice life. Yes. Uh, we'll I'm dis- we'll discuss it next week because I we've both forgotten the name apparently. So yeah, that that was the kind of thing that put me over the top to decide to finally do that. So Yeah, we'll definitely get to a bunch of those fun new cards that are coming out in our set review next episode. I am really excited for this set. I was kind of, you know, after the first return to return to Ravnica set, I was like, oh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot here. But I think that Tesa and other cards like it are certainly a nice indicator that we're getting some really, really fun stuff. So I'm excited for all of this to happen. And Orzov is really stealing my heart. I mean, I'm going to be a Golgari guy for life, but Orzov is super impressing me too. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to be seeing all of this stuff. With that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana? You can find me on the Twitterverse at Dana Roach. And you can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. Follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when the cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. We're about 150 away, so head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize, and we should be announcing what that prize will be next week on our set review. You can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com, and you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast, too. This cast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. So, you, you follow the Thoughts of Dog on Twitter, right, Joey? Hell yes, I follow Thoughts of Dog every, on Twitter. Every time that it's talking about the tippy tapping, I just think of Monty. Because he's the best dog. He, he needs to learn when not to walk on when I'm, when I'm doing a podcast, but he's the best dog. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.